Good morning, everyone. A relationship with the living God is a precious gift beyond measure. And it's a deeply personal gift too. Because to be a Christian, it means that God himself has come into your life and worked in you to change you, to transform you, and to revolutionize your future. And so every Christian, if you like, is a miracle of God. And the change is so dramatic that in our passage today, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, describes it as salvation. In verse 5, he says, you have been saved. In verse 8, he says, you have been saved. When I was exploring the Christian faith as a 19-year-old, passages like this one in Ephesians 2 were very important for me understanding to understand what Christianity was all about. That it was not about what I could give to God, but rather what God had done in me. I needed a miracle, I realised. I needed to be saved. And I can say now, because of God's work in Jesus, that I am saved. But it was a total rescue job on God's part. And our passage today presents this salvation very clearly, but I should tell you that the Apostle Paul doesn't mince his words in this passage. In describing salvation, he talks about it as moving from a place of death to a place of life. You see, the Apostle Paul wants the church to see how precious the gift of a relationship with the living God actually is. And you just simply will not appreciate how good and bright God's salvation is unless you see how dark and black the backdrop is. On this day, 19 years ago, uh, Jess and I were about six weeks from being married. And so we were shopping for wedding rings. Remember those days when you could go to shops and shop around? Yeah, I can barely remember them either. I don't know about if you've ever had that experience of going to a jeweler and uh, seeing a, uh, trying to get a ring. But when they show you a ring, they don't just casually throw it down onto the counter and get you to look at it. There's a bit of a ceremony, if you will, about it, where they unfurl the black cloth and they polish the ring before laying, down, laying it down and they adjust the lighting in just the right place against the black backdrop. And against that felt mat, the ring sparkles and it shows its full beauty. It looks like the most precious thing. And that's what Ephesians 2 is doing. It's showing us our salvation against the black backdrop. It's a passage today which is divided into three simple sections. In verses 1 to 3, Paul is laying down the black felt mat saying, You used to be spiritually dead in your sins. In verses 4 to 7, he's presenting the golden ring, but we have been made alive. And in the last three verses, verses 8 to 10, we can stand back in awe because we are saved by grace. I have two hopes for our time together this morning. For the, first of all, for those who already love Jesus and already follow him in their lives, I want us to see once again just how precious this gift of salvation is. 
in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be fueled in our lives to continue to live for our great God and Saviour. And for those who are exploring the Christian faith, uh, for those who wouldn't call themselves Christians but have joined us this morning, first of all, can I say welcome? Uh, Thank you so much for being here. But my hope for you is that you might see God's precious gift presented right in front of you today. And there might be an opportunity for you to take hold of that gift, that you might believe and be saved. At the end of our time together, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to invite everyone who's watching to pray it along with me if you'd like to. Well, let's get into our passage. We're looking at uh, Ephesians chapter 2. It'd be so great if you could have a Bible open with the passage in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, then you can just click the link underneath the display window that you're watching and it should uh, pull up a Bible Gateway link for you to be able to follow along with. Let me pray for our time together and then we'll get into the passage. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful joy it is of seeing your precious gift of salvation. Please open hearts and eyes this morning that we might see it clearly and believe. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, our first point this morning comes from verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, transgressions and sins are terms which broadly mean the same thing. Transgressions is kind of like breaking a rule that you already know. Sin is breaking a relationship. And when it comes to God, it's, they're both referring to the act of disobeying God. It's a rebellion, if you will, against the ruler and creator of the world. And the fact that Paul puts both of these words together, transgressions and sins, he's kind of emphasising that this is a big deal. He's saying that in all your disobedient attitudes and thoughts and desires, and in every way of your disobedient acts and deeds, he says, you are dead. It's a sobering reality. Those people who are in rebellion to God are dead, says this passage. Now, Paul uses physical language to talk about spiritual things, and he says it very seriously. Did you notice that he didn't say that as for you, you were naughty in your transgressions and sins, or you were filthy in your transgressions and sins, or that you were in trouble because of your transgressions and sins. No, he says, you are dead, spiritually dead in your transgressions and sins. People who live their lives disobeying God are cut off from God. They're aliens to God. They're separated from the love of God. And the consequence is death. It makes perfect sense if you think about it. You see, if God is the creator of all things, he is the author of life. And to say no to him, to rebel against the author of life, well, the consequence is death. And that's what Paul is speaking about here. Jesus tells a very famous story about a son who demands his inheritance from his father. He wants it early and he wants to leave his father's house and go and live somewhere else. It's the famous story of the prodigal son. You may have heard of it before. Now, if you come from a Western mindset, I reckon this is a a story which is very easy for us to misunderstand. 
Because it sounds like a young adult is grabbing some cash and he's about to go on a road trip. But if you come from an Eastern mindset, particularly if you come from an Asian or a Middle Eastern background where family is so important, then I think you're the ones who will understand this story naturally. You see, in demanding his inheritance early and leaving, the son is dishonouring his father. He's telling his father, you give to me what I want. He's saying to his dad, I deserve what I want. And in leaving, he's saying, I want nothing to do with you. I don't want you. I don't want to be part of your household. I'm going to neglect my family responsibilities. I'm going to neglect my duties. Relationally, you're dead to me. And so when we understand the meaning of this story, we know that the father in this story represents God. And it's all too easy to see ourselves in the story of the son. In sin, we have all rejected God and walked away from him. I wonder if you look around at your life and you can say, well, I can't see God anywhere. God doesn't appear to be working at all in my life. If that's you, maybe there's a reason for that. Perhaps there's a diagnosis that you're making, even of yourself, that you need to be listening to what Paul is saying here, because he doesn't mince his words about what it means to be dead in transgressions and sin. You see, the problem, like the son in the story, is that we've all walked away from God, and there's no help in the natural world around us to bring us back to God. You see, in verse 2, the ways of the world are sinful. In verse 2, we're told the ruler of the kingdom of the air is working against us to draw us into sinful ways. And in verse 3, even our most inward desires are leading us astray. If you like, we keep going out and we keep going away from God. It's like when you go to the beach as a kid and your parents tell you, don't go too far out into the water because the tide will naturally carry you away from the beach. You see, when you are naturally immersed in a world that doesn't want God, then you are going to be naturally carried away from God. I mean, you may not even notice it. In the old Anglican prayer book, when uh, it calls on Christians to live their lives as Christians, it uses an expression that says that you must reject the ways of the world, the flesh and the devil. And if you like, that little expression out of the prayer book comes from this passage that we're looking at today, because these are the forces which keep carrying us away from God. It's worth picking up on that little strange phrase, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now that's referring to the evil one, the accuser, the Satan. We'll talk more about that in our Sermon Seasonings podcast tomorrow, but it's worth feeling the weight of the fact that there is an evil spiritual force that is actively working to stop people from coming to God. He'll push, he'll pull, he'll entice, he'll distract, he'll do whatever it takes to keep people away from God. And he's able to operate effectively in a world that is tainted by sin and evil. See, Jesus exposes the devil's secret work in his own ministry, doesn't he? Remember when he's tempted out into the desert, he brings the devil out into the full light. Jesus also teaches in the parable of the sower that the evil one, 
snatches the word, away, word of God away from people so that they don't believe in God. The devil is such a piece of work. In another part of Scripture, he's described as a prowling lion looking to go around and devour people. In verse 3, we see that it's not even that hard for the devil to do his work. Our desires and our thoughts crave fleshly things. We want the things of the world more than we want God. Our own hearts and thoughts are self-motivated. They're self-centered. They're sinful. And as people have disconnected ourselves from God, we use anything and everything that God gives to us to gratify ourselves. If we want something, we go get it. It's ours. Well, in the story about that Jesus tells about the son who rejects his father, we're told he takes the wealth of his inheritance and he lives an incredible life, even one that is beyond his means. I mean, frankly, he would have had the most amazing Instagram feed. But as the story goes, all too soon, everything is squandered. Everything runs out. And it's only when a famine rolls into the land that suddenly he realizes how desperate his situation is. So we need to feel the weight of our own situation. We have been disconnected from God. And we live in a world that gently pushes us away from God. And then there's an evil one who is working to keep nudging us out. And then our own thoughts and desires keep our eyes focused away from God. We keep moving out, 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 and away, away, away. We're not coming back to God naturally. Living a life of transgression and sin can look good, and it can feel good as well. And we can fool ourselves into thinking, this is real living. This is something that's really going to last. We could say, wow, look at all the things that I have uh, received and got myself. Look at all my achievements that I have done. Well, we live in a situation right now in August 2021 with a COVID lockdown that should teach us how temporary everything is. I mean, this lockdown teaches us that nothing will really last and that everything could be taken away. Right now, we can't do what we want to do. And we can't go where we want to go. And the things that we've relied on for our security and our identity and our meaning in life, well, some of those things have just gone. They're not there anymore. We need to look around and hear the lesson that's right in front of us. Without the eternal life giver, this place that we live in is a temporary place of nice things that will lead to death. But there's more to that in this passage about our situation. It's easy for us to talk about sin as being us rejecting God. But there will be a time when God will reject us fully and finally. In verse 3, we're told that those who are dead in their transgressions and sins are the objects of God's wrath. You see, there will come a time when God will bring his right place judgment down on those who have taken the good things that he's provided and have used it for themselves in rebellion against him. 
What's worse than death? Everlasting death. And on the last day, when God's righteous anger and judgment is poured out in full, those who do not have life will never have life. They'll be dead forever. If you look around and God is nowhere and nothing in your life, then you are in terrible danger. You are dead in your transgressions and sins. The mat that's been laid out is very black. It's where I was when I was 19. Dead in my transgressions and sins. What I needed was a miracle. What I needed was to be saved. And we can thank God for the next verses, verses 4 to 7, which bring us to our second point. Have a look with me at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's a beautiful pivot verse. It starts with the word but, which is exactly the word you want to hear when things are going in the wrong direction. But. And you'll notice that there's a change from looking at our our own character of sin onto God's character of mercy and love. Against the black felt mat, the ring is now on display. This paragraph is a paragraph for Christians to savour. This is the heart of our gospel. The God who is rich in mercy, the God who is gracious in love, has saved us. And when we know the story of the gospel, we know how he's brought us to salvation. It's the great rescue act. He loved his people so much that God himself would take on flesh, that he would become fully human and that he would die the death that was deserved by those who were dead in their transgressions and sins. Jesus became the object of God's wrath at the cross and made his people who were dead alive. If you like, he stood in our place. There we were, deserving death and judgment And there was Jesus who had life. And at the cross, he took what was ours and he gave us what was his. That is mercy. That is love. And the timing for us as Christians tells us just how precious it is. You see, he didn't wait until we turned around in the water, so to speak. He didn't ask us to swim a few strokes back towards the beach before he came out. And he certainly didn't stay on the beach shouting out orders, come, come to me. No, he came in and he got us. You see, even when we didn't know we needed Jesus, full of mercy and love he was, he came to us. In an earlier letter, the Apostle Paul put it this way. He says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Imagine that scene out of the movie Titanic. 
where the rowboats come back to the Titanic to find many thousands floating in the water without life, just floating there. Even if the rowboats came right up to the dead people, they can't climb aboard. They can't cry out for help. They are unable to do anything. They cannot save themselves. Friends, when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, then spiritually speaking, we were like the dead people in the water. And Jesus has come along in the boat and he's given us life. He's lifted us out of the water and he's breathed into us. And our hearts, which were once cold, have become warm and full of life. And our eyes, which were glazed, are now given life so that they can see. And our ears, which were once stopped, unable to hear, can now understand truths. It's only because of his great love and rich mercy that our God and Saviour Jesus Christ has made us alive. I mean, how precious is that for us who believe? Verses 6 and 7 tell us how everlasting life with Jesus goes for. It goes forever. I mean, even now, Christians have been raised up in a spiritual sense into the heavenly realms. We remember from chapter 1, that's exactly where Jesus is so that we are connected with him now and forevermore. We've been given the assurance that that connection will last this life through death on into eternity. And so now, instead of following the sinful desires of the world, the flesh and the devil, we now follow our Lord and Saviour, Jesus, the one who has gone through death on into life. So when people become Christians, it's not about selecting one religion amongst a smorgasbord of others. Christians are brought from death to life. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, but now you have been made alive because of Jesus. You see, there are many many religions out there, many philosophies, many schools of thought that may be in some way qualified to take naughty people and turn them into nice people, to take bad people and turn them into good people. But there's only one that is qualified to take dead people and make them alive. And friends, we must see that is the whole difference with the Christian faith. We're not talking naughty to nice. We're not talking bad to good. We're talking dead to alive. You were dead in your transgressions and sins and you've been made alive in Jesus Christ. Every Christian is a miracle of God. Well, the black mat has been laid out and the ring has been put into position and now we are in a place to gaze in awe at the precious beauty of God's invitation to connect with him. And this brings us to our third point, that we're saved by grace. Verses 8 to 10 are probably the best known verses in the whole of Ephesians. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
Christians are saved by grace. The word grace means undeserved gift. It means giving to someone something that they don't deserve. Giving to someone something that they have not earned. Imagine that. The living God of all the universe loves you. Despite the way that you've treated him. You may have ignored God all of your life. In my case, it's the first 19 years of my life. And can I just say, I had every opportunity. I had no excuse to reject him, but I did. I ignored him for all that time. No matter how you've treated him, no matter who you are or where you've been, no matter what pain you've caused others or the pain you've had to endure, no matter how far you've wandered away from God, despite how great your sin may be, the love and mercy of Jesus still reaches you. That is grace. It's giving to you what you do not deserve. The offer of salvation. We mentioned the Christianity Explored course earlier. And that's uh, starting this Thursday. It's a course of seven weeks and it gives the space and the time to look deeply into the things that we've spent the last 24 minutes this morning looking over. It's a safe place to take the time to be able to ask questions like, what's the deal with this? Or I don't understand that. If you haven't done Christianity Explored, you should definitely do it. It's an amazing course. And if you ask anyone who's done it, I reckon you took a poll, people would say that the best week is week six. It's the week where we talk about grace. I've been in the room with grown men who have broken down in tears as they've realized for the first time how much God loves them. We didn't even make it to the end of the course. They wanted to respond to God then and there for his mercy and his grace. Well, in the jewelry store, it's one thing to see the beautiful, precious ring laid out against the black background and see the light shining to make everything beautiful. It's one thing to see how precious and beautiful it is. But at some point, the jeweler will ask you, do you want the ring? See, I wouldn't have this ring unless I said yes. And just to be clear, you don't just get salvation. It's a gift. God is not forcing it on you. It's a gift that you can receive. For it is by grace, verse 8, that you have been saved through faith. And in light of what we've talked about this morning, the response of faith is two things. First of all, it's saying sorry to God because you are a sinner. And then secondly, saying to God, I trust you to lead my life into the future. You see, every Christian at our church has responded to God's gracious gift of salvation in a personal way. And you know what? As Christians, we never move away from it. When we are thankful to God, we start and then we continue to be thankful to God. 
And in fact, verse 10 encourages us to take hold of the opportunities to live out the faith that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, to take every opportunity that we might show in thankfulness what we have. I'm going to talk more about that in the Sermon Seasonings podcast tomorrow because I don't want to leave this precious moment for us right now today. Because the opportunity to say thank you to God for his grace in salvation is so wonderful. To those who are exploring the Christian faith, to people who may not yet consider themselves Christian, I want you to know that I know personally that God uses moments in sermons just like this one on an average Sunday to make you aware of God's love for you and prompt you to respond as well. If you are convicted about this, then take the opportunity today to respond. And if you're worried in any way about how God will hear your response to him, just listen to the end of the story that Jesus told about the son who left his father. We were told that in his desperation, the son realized he needed to go back to his father and to ask for his forgiveness. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. And just look at what the father says next. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. We are saved by grace through faith. I'm going to pray now. And maybe you would like to pray out loud in your homes towards the screen or in your hearts just quietly. God will hear it either way. Here's the prayer. If you'd like to pray with me, please do it. Lord Jesus, Thank you for your precious gift of salvation. As a sinner, I know I was dead in my transgression and sin. I am sorry for rejecting you. Yet because Jesus has died for me, I have been made alive. You have saved me. Help me to know the assurance of your love and to live for you now and evermore. Amen. We're going to take a moment now during the next song. Maybe you'd like to reflect now on this passage and the prayer we've just said. We're going to hear one of our members' responses to Jesus for herself. And then Kristen and Henry will give you some ideas on next steps about how to go 
in your faith with Jesus.